Thanks very much for downloading Under the Radar with me, Sean Hughes, and my special guest is uh, John Lloyd. John, thanks again for coming in. Um, Pleasure. So, uh, we got up to spitting image, but so since then, you've just become a professional skier, yeah? Because every time I try to get in touch with you, you're going, I'm just going to ski, I am skiing, <laughs> I just come back from skiing. I actually only go usually a week a year, but my son's a ski instructor in France, so uh, it's an excuse to see him, really. So what age is your son? 23. Right, so is that what he's going to do, or is that one of those, like, lovely couple of years? Well, he, he wants to be a musician. Um, he's, a, I think, a really talented songwriter, completely self-taught. Started playing the piano at 18. Started at 18? Mm. So you didn't give him piano lessons? I did. I made him do piano lessons when he was, like, s- seven, eight, and... Uh, he said, Dad, I'm a drummer. I said, no, no, drums aren't a proper instrument. They, you know, when you know nothing about music, that's a sort of ridiculous thing you say. You and know, also you were thinking, I don't want to hear drums around my house all the time. No, no, we've got a, um, a little barn place, so it's fine, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a good place to have them. But I was remember that famous maxim about the music industry, never sleep with anyone lower than a bass player, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so so you I said, it's not a proper instrument. And he said, well, that's what I want to do, Dad. And I made him do lessons for, like, four years. He hated it, because dis- we discovered when he was 17 he was dyslexic. Reading music is like Egyptian hieroglyphs to him. So what I used to do was... I have got grade five theory, but I'm a hopeless pianist, so, but I can read music, so I would laboriously learn... But the... you can't play? No, not really, no. I mean, I can... It t- just takes me days and days to play. I can play the first few bars of the Moonlight Sonata. So you could probably be a conductor, then, if you can read music? I suppose I could, um, but what I would do is take a day to learn this, you know, Mr Jolly the Farmer, or... One of my favourites. I play it through to Harry, and in two goes, he knew it off by heart. And so, so he's a natural? Natural ear, very good ear. Anyway, I made him do these lessons for four years, he hated it, and then eventually I said, if you do it for four years, I'll buy you a drum kit. I bought him a drum kit, he picked up the sticks, and I thought, oh, what a sort of stupid idiot I am, he's a natural drummer. So he drummed all the way through school, and, you know, he was in a band at prep school and all that. And then he started, he went, sort of reverse-engineered it and got interested in piano and, and taught himself by watching things on YouTube and friends who'd teach him a tune and all that kind of stuff. OK. He's and, a really good guy. And so what, he's got a band now? Well, you no, know, he, he has got a mate that he plays occasional gigs with when he's in, in uh, Oxford. But uh, and he does gigs out in France where he teaches. Well, I'm getting the impression that your son has not settled into his life yet. He no, is... but but you you know I I just say I know it's a cliche, Sean, but I say to my kids, you've got to do something you love. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, um, because all the people you and I hang out with, they're, they're all doing things they want to do. They're stand-ups, they know, they're photographers, they're uh, writers, yeah. um, and it's hard making a living sometimes, but at least you don't feel you're wasting your life, you know, rather than working in an office being a yeah, but, corporate lawyer well, yeah, or something. It's, it's lovely, but is it, well, the point is, is it kind of a gap year? He's just having a bit of a last ski... Well, he didn't want to go to college because because exams are hard for him because the you know the dyslexia is pretty severe. I don't uh, think he read a, a whole book until he was nineteen, and that like that's a really odd thing. Dyslexia, we still don't really understand what it is or how it works or, or whether there's so many different kinds of it. Mm. And I think a lot of it's motivation. You know, Harry is like me. He if he's interested in something, he gives it one hundred and seventy percent. If he's not interested, he can't See, do it at all. You have a very scientific mind, so I can't let you away with that 170%, because it doesn't make sense, John. 
What is wrong with people in society? What is, now all of a sudden we live in a society where 100% is not enough. <laughs> you disappointed me in that one, John. Because, <laughs> like, you're in QI, for God's sake. I know, you, you I can't. failed. I'm not the math self. That's the and problem. also, the sad thing is, like, it seems to be going up every year because footballers all, all of a sudden, about 10 years ago, started giving 110%. <laughs> but now you've got people giving 170%. <laughs> it makes no sense whatsoever. But... But I'm sure he'll... But Very see, fair. He, he doesn't know what he wants to do yet, which is fine. No, he wants to be a songwriter. Right. That is what he is passionate about it. And every spare moment he gets when he's not skiing, he's writing songs, you know, in his tiny little truckle bed in this tiny wee apartment. And have you heard them? Yeah, yeah, he's good. Is it things like, I like the slopes. The slopes <laughs> no, it's are not very the, cool. There is one song called 1850, which is about Courchevel, that is... It's going to be a, a a hit one day, I think. I mean, I work with a it's lot of musicians. It's called 1850. What? It's called 1850. Yeah, because Courchevel 1850 is the ski resort. It's right. the main hub. Okay. And you think this is going to be a big hit? I think... I don't think... I don't think that's necessarily the number one. I think they might get to number four. Okay. <laughs> I think 170, if I'm going to say that. <laughs> I'm sure it's a great song, but, like, to get into the charts, it has to have baby in it and love. <laughs> And uh, move it. I don't know. The Beatles experimented, didn't they? they wrote a song called Paperback Writer. They, it doesn't have to be about that. That was a B side, wasn't that? Was it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That wasn't one of the big, big hits. <laughs> but so, anyway, I want to get on to you because I, I know our time is precious on these things. So, we got up to, um, on the last one, to Spit and Image. We've, we've dealt with that. And then it sounded like you, without having a breakdown, needed to just recharge yourself completely. No, I did have. I had a terrible um, and baffling experience at Christmas Eve, uh, was it, 93, I think. And I woke up in the morning as normal and I just lost the plot. I just thought, I don't see the point of anything. I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I just became completely unmotivated. I thought... But I that sounds of, like, like overtiredness as well. I was very tired, but, um, and quite cross. I'd got sacked from a couple of things. I mean, I've been sacked from an awful lot of things over my life, and that, that propelled me into a kind of sense of pointlessness. Um, so you're not one of those people that, when you get sacked, you, you kind of do that reverse psychology going, I'll show you, and I'll do things better just to show you. I have. I, that is exactly what I've done, oddly. And right. if I hadn't been sacked... The first time I was sacked by Douglas Adams from Hitchhiker. So he's my best mate. Right. So what happened there then? Well, I got very cross. I mean, first of all, I was, I was you know, baffled and um, unhappy and and very cross with him because we were such good friends. But it m meant uh, that I had to do something. So I went and resigned from radio and went but without a job. But you kind of that. So he he was one of your best friends, and he just and your job on that was producer. Yeah. No, no, I was a writer um, because he got stuck after four episodes of the first series. He's very slow, very, very brilliant. Yeah. Work for him was very, very difficult, and it, it had to be wrested out of him. And so he got stuck, and he said, let's do the last two together. So we did, and he said, if it goes well, which it probably won't get another series, but if it does, we'll do it together. And when it became a huge success, which it was from the off, really, from the mm -hmm. first episode, it was got reviews in the papers. and by the Was this radio or TV? Radio. Right. And this is why it's so extraordinary, because it was only radio, which used to get very low ratings in the 70s. Uh, and within three or four weeks, we had six publishers after the book rights, and, and we both thought, whoa, we're going to be famous and, and rich. And, um, and Douglas decided that actually 
Which is truthful, Sean. It was his thing. Mm -hmm. I was only, you know, helping him out sort of as the sort of comedy cleaning lady, really. Um, and, and as I've had time to think about it over the years, you know, I think I got the best deal out of it because it meant that the idea of spending a lifetime being Douglas Adams's mate who does helps him, because I'm never going to be the genius... Uh, and it made me, it pushed me to go and do something else. So, but I'm, I'm still like maybe because I'm just, uh, I, I like the details. So he, he actually sat you down and says, "This has been a big success, but I don't want you anymore." Uh, well, more weird than that, we had adjacent offices in BBC Radio. By that time, he was a producer, as I was, and he sent me a letter, and it came round the wall, you know, literally through a, a two-foot breeze block. This letter from the guy next door. Well, like you could just see his hand putting. No, almost, yeah. Right. I think it probably went to the internal mail or something. And it was the, it was a really shocking thing. It was completely unexpected. Um, and what what did the letter say? It said, you know, thanks for your help, but actually, I think the bits that I wrote on my own, on, on difficult there it was, were, are better than the ones we wrote together. But like, obviously. That's his decision, but I still feel like if you were friends, that feels like it should have been a chat. Yeah, I know. He, I'm clearly he must have been a bit shamefaced about it and a bit guilty, and he didn't know how to say it face to face. He must, it? he must love modern life with technology, where you don't have to speak to anyone ever again. Just email. Well, he's not here with us, unfortunately. So everyone's here in spirit, John. Oh, that's true. But um, that's, he was yeah, it's thought for the his, day. It's turned into thought for the day. Finally, he's, he's ahead of his time in the sense of he was uh, he was onto technology way before everyone else by just deciding not to communicate with people via these gifts that we've been given of mouths and tongues and brains. Uh, well, I, you know, going back to what you're saying, I, I do rather believe. Um, I think consciousness is indestructible, and I think there's some, you know, part of Douglas sitting up there listening to this conversation. Well, I, I totally agree. There's a thing that I'm fascinated by at the moment, which goes takes away a little bit from your career, but, you know, I think we can do that, is, <laughs> is um, I still can't get out of my head that me being quite naive about stuff, that when we urinate, uh, that goes into the system, and we end up all drinking that again. So you're alive, you're in that system for the rest of your life. I know that it's still it and all that, but we're all drinking each other's... Uh, we're all drinking each other in every day. Yeah, I, I, that would be my view, that uh, nobody has any problem accepting that atoms, uh, yeah. you, uh, you know, matter can neither be created nor destroyed, that's the law of conservation of matter, I think it's called, and, uh, and actually we don't know what matter is, matter and energy are equivalent, e equals mc squared, and, the, and the, the, you know, there isn't really anything here, you know, the universe, as they say, is a zero energy sum, because... The amount of positive energy in the form of matter is cancelled out by the negative energy in the form of gravity. Mm -hmm. So there isn't anything here. There's only energy, and consciousness is a kind of form of energy. So why shouldn't it be? Why shouldn't it be indestructible? Well, yeah, there's definitely. There's, I think you know there are, as you say, there, there are bits of us just floating about in that sense, just in the uh, general. You know, yeah, like the atoms. Out. I mean, we all know that there. You know, we've got atoms in our bodies that were in Julius Caesar or Cleopatra or anything else. And oh, you're bigging yourself up there. I probably <laughs> had Julius Caesar's tramp. <laughs> people always mention the famous people. Go, we've all got I know, I know. Mary Magoo there, who was there around 700 years ago. She's some of her atoms in me. But this is like Captain Beefheart's famous line: "There are only seven people in the world, and four of them are hamburgers." Right, you know, yeah, and the thing is that the I I have this theory in this novel 
novel, and I'm never going to blooming write. Yes, you will. Is the idea that there's only a small number of actual human beings in the world. You mean types? No, no, actual people. The rest are kind of what I call cardboard policemen. You know, they're, they're what they used to do in America. They'd stick a cardboard policeman behind the yeah. billboard and you'd, you'd slow down. I can understand why you had that breakdown. Yeah. Uh, no, back, well, back this is the, the thing. I'm, uh, I'm a very strange <laughs> those individual. Kind of yeah. But the thing is that the... Your extended but, family photos must be off. <laughs> Look, the rest is just go. Yeah. yeah, it's full of pharaohs and, you know, um, Roman generals. None and, of them really exist no, no, at the same no time. No tramps in my family at all. But, so... So, yeah, but that's a, that's a real kick in the balls, like, when you were sacked like that, because it was obviously something you loved at the time and, you know, another success. So what what was the kind of fallout of that then? What happens to you next? Well, I, I resigned in a huff from radio and went and looked for a job somewhere else. Skiing? Skiing instructor? I would have, um, if I'd been a little bit better, I probably would have done that. Fair I enough. quite, uh, try not to be envious, but uh, I, when Harry passed his French, it's called a test technique, you have to do a sort of Olympic standard slalom, and you have to get a specific time or you don't get in, and uh, I said, you know, he, he, he was amazing, and I said, that's all I wanted to do when I was your age. He was 18, 19 when he got it, I think. Well, skilled, skilled lad by all accounts. Yeah, yeah. So you resigned, and then what, did you take a little hiatus? I no, I um, I went to look for a job and I got offered a job as a presenter on Afternoon Plus on ITV and and I went to see Esther Ranson who I'd worked with as a producer and was that when she was like because people don't realise she was so gorgeous oh yeah she was and she was amazingly powerful and you know that that's life was one of the top shows on television yeah I, I can stand that well I've had a, and sort of I got down to the last I think three people and the other guy in the frame was peter bazalgette of all weird things he was a researcher on the show and we were we could have done that who's he peter bazalgette sir peter as he now is my lord uh the guy who ran endemol uk and made big brother and now chairman of everything chairman of the arts council and um, you know the royal television society you still buddies yeah we we are absolutely he's a very uh very nice guy Cool. So, so but although I have to say the the famous joke that was on QI, which is his, I think grandfather, great grandfather was the guy who invented the London sewage system. And Back so the, to the people drinking each other's piss. That's right. Exactly. It's We're all, all connected. Themed. It's all uh, scripted here. Um, and the joke is that um, Peter Bazalgette's um, great grandfather spent the time um, pumping all the shit out of London and Peter's putting it all back in again <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you're very close yeah um, <laughs> that's the kind of thing that um, you, you, if someone says that about you you kind of have to laugh to show you've got a sense of humor yeah. inside you're going I wish people would stop saying that please but he's obviously one of those like, see the, he's I, a very confident guy Peter Baz as we call him I mean and you know he's a brilliant um, creator of stuff. It's just a different. It's a different kind of thing. Oh, well, would you say because iconic I, show, Big Brother? No, no, getting away. Oh, from absolutely, it. I love it. Um, the thing is, I think there's two kind of people who work in television, and they're people who are driven by creativity, and people who are driven by money. Yeah. and never the change for me. Yeah. And Peter's a money-driven man, is he? Yes, I mean he, he he's uh, and he's very very good at that. And I'm the reverse. I yeah. can't. Money doesn't stick to my fingers for some reason. I've, you know, the shows that I do have made a lot of money for various people, not me somehow. But so you were present, you were presenting on daytime TV then. What, no, I never did it I, because I then went to see um, the head of light entertainment, Jimmy Gilbert, and I was a bit 
peeved because not only had I been fired from Hitchhiker, but to the Manor Born, which was originally a radio show that I'd co-written and okay. produced with Penelope Keith, she took it straight to television without me. Um, God, there's a bit of a theme coming on it. There was no, How? it is a theme in my whole life. It's happened, uh, I don't know, ten times maybe. But does it think it's a personality thing then? Um, well, I have. I've worked out what the psychological root of it is. Actually, I think, but. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary Freaknik: The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. And, and yeah, you you get to you get to. It's not that I've never been fired, you know, because I didn't do the job properly or because sure. I've done anything wrong. But essentially, I think what it is is. Um, that people feel they don't need you anymore. They think, okay, I don't. I really don't need the pedantry, the pushing, the, the you know, the insistent, the, the, the high standards. I can, mm-hmm. I can do what I do without the need for that. So um, you're, you're sounding like so you're, you were in these situations, the taskmaster all yeah, the time. Yeah, and I am, and I, and and uh, I think of myself. The nice way of putting it is, I am the writer's or the actor's conscience. I sit on their shoulders, saying, "I know you're better than that." You, you, and only on Thursday you did a line better than that. Right. And and people don't, you know, we all from early childhood, what we all we want is praise. We want continual yeah. love and praise. We don't get enough of it from our parents, not ever. And so that is carried through into uh, into adult life. I think, like this is my little theory now, just from talking today. Yeah. And you're saying you're you're pushing people and pushing people. I think why they sack you is you were always demanding 170%. It was, yeah. If I'd only gone for the 110%, just I the think hundred, it would have been fine. fine. Yeah. But, yeah, so, so that's... Uh, but so you bounce back from all these situations. Well, it, it's, you know, it, it got... The, you know, several, on several occasions, it was really, really hurtful. Because, you, you know, before you've started thinking, it's got to be something to do with me which well, only, only really leaders. occurred to me, you know, probably less than 10 years ago, you think, it must be me. The pattern's too repetitive. It can't be all these other dis- different people's fault. It must be something I'm doing or not doing. Well, that's very big of you, because most people go through lives never blaming themselves for things. Well, OK, so... The thing is, you have to take responsibility for your own life, and the, as soon as you get the point, it's all your fault, all of it, everything, good and bad and everything else then you start to be free. Yeah. That's the truth of it. And you stop blaming people. No blame ought to be on everybody's T-shirt. No fear, no blame. And then you, you can start to operate. And that gets very, very interesting then. And also, it's like things like success. Success is a drug as, is worse than heroin or alcohol or cigarettes because you can never have enough success. I guess. But interestingness is not like that. Interestingness is like friendship. Enough is plenty. Just a little bit. But, so you're being philosophical about the time back there, which is the way life is, if anyone has ever read Samuel Becker, um, and many others, of course. But it's that thing that, at the time, were you uh, getting very angry and uh, just not understanding what was going on? Yeah, I was... Uh, 
I suppose I was, I hope, try not to be so, that sort of person now, but a control freak, you know. And so in one of the things that really I found difficult being a dad, because if you're a producer and you want to get things done, sooner or later you have to draw the line and say, right, OK, we're not going to do that, or you're fired, or I've fired very few people in my life, maybe six. But you eventually you have to be insistent, say, right, it's enough talking, this is the line we're doing, or no, you have to do it like that. That's the end of it. Children <laughs> doesn't work like that. Mm. Children is all about acceptance. It's all about letting go, being easy with them, just being nice. And so, do you, you sound like you're you're a really great dad, but was it time no, for you weren't? Awful. We, right. You know, we listen. Our nanny was JoJo Frost. You know, super nanny. Right. She was nineteen. She's daughter of a Fulham builder, Mick. And Sarah put an ad in in a. She's window. another one that got rid of you. You gave her her start as well. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, 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 and JoJo, uh, I would say, you know, she learned on the most dysfunctional family in Fulham, you know, because we were a very shouty parents. Because Sarah was a senior publisher and I was a very successful television producer. And she used to scream at me, "Don't try and produce this family. We're not a program." And you can't do it with children. Yeah. You have to learn a completely. I've, I don't know, I divide my life into two halves, before children and after children. And, that, and if, if you're lucky, you get the point that to be a, a, a parent, you've got to become a completely different person. But did you not... So you were, weren't able to leave your work at work? You took it home and you're kind of the way of working? Well, you know, I, I, the, one of the things that's fun about work is this problem-solving thing. And actually nearly all the interesting jobs are. An architect is a problem solver. A doctor. This is fascinating. I heard the other day. Doctors don't go into doctoring because they care about, you know, saving people's lives. They generally, perhaps any doctors listening may correct me, but there are two reasons. One is they really like talking to people. The conversation, particularly for a GP, is very interesting. And the other is it's all about the diagnosis, which is problem solving. Sure, it's like no. reading the Puzzler magazine you know, every 20 minutes and go, oh, I wonder what this is. And that's what I liked about teleproduction and radio production. And when I was with the children, I started thinking, okay, well, you know, why are they angry? They should do this and then... And you sort of think, oh, I know what the problem is. The reason they're cross is because this has happened. We should change that. But people don't come at parenting like that. They come at it like it's like a nightmare or, you know, why don't you do what I say? And everyone is... It's, a, it's an enhancer, it's a lens of being a parent, that things that you, when you're 20-something, you don't have kids, people's faults don't really matter, you know? You go to the pub with your mates and, you know, some people are a bit mean and some people are not very tidy and all that kind of thing. It doesn't matter. The minute the children are involved, these things become chasms of difference, you know, particularly with yeah, your Yeah, and ongoing half. as well. Ongoing. And there was a very good piece of research. Somebody took the trouble, I don't know, 25 years ago, to ask newly married people what it was they didn't like about their other half, right? And they were both privately asked to write down the list of, well, you know, I hate the way... Yeah, it's called Mr. and Mrs. It's, uh, yeah. it's on telly. <laughs> and they wrote this list, the two of them, and then 15 years later, or 20 years later, they looked at the list. They were asked to write the list again. What is it you don't like about your partner? And the ones who'd stayed married, the list was exactly the same. The ones who stayed to, to the word, the ones who stayed married, but they got to live with it. They, yeah. they then said, "Okay, okay, the snuffling, the snoring, whatever it is, the scratching their bottom in bed, those things." Well, I, okay, I love them enough not to mind. You were in bed with a chimpanzee. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's that's a bit of a kind of scoop. <laughs> but that's, I think, where it all went wrong. <laughs> they get to a certain age and they're uh, untenable. But um, <laughs> but so so work wise, then uh, is this when is this when the time that Nine O'clock News came about? When. Uh, this period after the you know Maribor was gone to TV. Oh and no, uh, yeah, and I did. Um, yes, yeah, so so I went to see the head of Light Entertainment, and he said, "What kept you?" And I said, well, "You don't even know who I am." He said, "Yes, we do. We, we know. I think we know. You know, you did five. It was, yeah. uh, and that's another story. Actually, my nearly being recruited by a man at the BBC for MI5. How did they go about that? There, uh, he took me out to dinner. And they asked me these strange... Was, and somebody had warned me... Reading so, the menu with a big magnifying glass. <laughs> he said, um, I went to see my boss. I said, I'd been invited out by this really senior bloke in, uh, in the BBC. What should I do? And he said, oh, he said, well, be incredibly careful what you say. You know, oh, oh. So um, this poor man took me out to dinner. And uh, every time he... Because I didn't want to give anything away. I didn't know why I was supposed to be careful. And he'd say, do you like opera? And I'd go, do you like opera? And he'd go, ha, ha, ha. I'd say, do you, do you like football? I said, do you like football? Sounds like a really bad dinner day. It was terrible. And years later, somebody said to me, almost certainly that was the Secret Service trying to recruit you. So you said the wrong thing then? I was clearly an unstable uh, dr- drunk or <laughs> something because we had far too much to drink as well. Yeah, but, yeah. No, that's... <laughs> I was cross because I was the only person I knew at Cambridge who wasn't recruited for the Secret Service. My, my tutor was actually one of the people who did, th- did that for a, you know, as a sort of day, uh, nighttime job. Have you brought out an autobiography yet? No. And we, would you not? No, <laughs> why? Who, wants to, who cares about me? You know, it's not... Don't begin for the self-pity. No, no. <laughs> It's well, not. <coughs> excuse me. That's unusual because you get to people of a certain age, and their anecdotes are really boring. But like you're, because uh, I think we've uh, decided very quickly. You're not telling anecdotes. You're just interested in life, so that yeah. comes across. They're not really about me. I don't think the anecdotes. They're about things that happen where I happen to be in the room. Yeah, that's life. And, isn't and, it? and the thing is, so I don't think. And I hope this doesn't sound disingenuous, but I don't think I'm. A, a, an interesting person, but I think the stuff is interesting, that's good and point. I notice it. You know, and and the thing is that that's the the stories are not really. I mean, of course, they're about if, you know if you're talking about me being fired ten times or something. The point about that is it's interesting. Why is that so? Yeah. Not no, I'm not I'm not asking for anybody's pity because actually, as it turned out. You know, one of my mantras is disaster is a gift. If you're paying attention um, and something goes wrong, if you're lucky, it will be the making of you. You know, the time your girlfriend sacks you and then you meet the right person, you, you think back. You think, oh, thank goodness I didn't marry her. Well, that's pretty much what, will, what, what doesn't kill you will. Yeah. yeah. But, the, the, you know, wisdom, as it were, uh, they're all cliches. You know, take life as it comes. You know, know, uh, be nice. You know, they're all they're all so tedious. But and it's a bit like this. There's a famous saying in uh, in in sort of New Age circles that um, before Enlightenment, uh, chop wood and carry water. After Enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. There's nothing here. Do do your work and be kind. There's nothing else to say that. The truth is fantastically simple and very difficult to discover. 
this this hasn't gone to plan, John, because we're nearly out of time now. Yeah. We're still... Not enough jokes. No, but you've, but you've been you've carrying the burden fine. of the jokes. You've had well, at least it's a eight. Podcast. It's not. It's not a <laughs> gag fest. Um, but the, the thing, um, I like. So, what what are you up to now then? Because it's a bit of a renaissance for you at the moment. Yeah, and it's it's you know fantastic fun for me. Um, I'm going off to do a voiceover uh, after this. And I've just done my first corporate gig in Brighton, 350 IT managers. These are all horrible things to me. No, no, but it's not. For me, it's not horrible, you see, because friends who do that, they say, oh, yeah, you've got to go and sit with the people for two hours before you do your thing. But it was really interesting. I've never met any senior IT managers. They they ran the universities and colleges' IT systems. They're seriously bright people. Very, very nice. What's the voiceover for? The voiceover is for PayPal. Right, okay, if if I can say to you, right, I'm going to let you do whatever you want creatively, what would you like to do next? Well, I would like to write this novel that I've been sitting on for 20-odd years. It's four books. Um, it's a huge kind of what uh, one of my friends calls a saga. It's kind of set... It's a ridiculously ambitious idea, but it's set across the whole of space and time, um, trying to work out what the point of uh, being here is, what, why we're here, and what we should do about it. I'm, I'm but it is funny, oddly. Yeah, I remember you told me parts. this idea ages ago, and yeah. uh, it is a big undertaking, which, again, there can't be any... Uh, There's your answer. So it's just no, no, of course not. But then what that is worth doing is easy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you know if you're a stand-up, that is not to write a set that lasts an hour or two hours is impossibly hard. I mean, hardly anyone in the world can do it well. So, but, you know, as we know, if you can stand up in front of a 1,000 people or 2,000 people or whatever your size is and make them laugh, it is the most life-enhancing thing. Because I don't do TV. But that's the thing. Well, you should. But no, it's the sad thing of like it's diminishing returns. Just an ad, just one little I, ad, I just Sean. Do it, you know, <clears throat> I just have this soul. Let me like, tempt you. Cheese, possibly Can't. beer. No, nothing. Mm. But if, if you could uh, get another television uh, project off the uh, off the ground, what would you uh, onto the air off the ground? What would, what would you like to do? Well, I, I I would always said that there ought to be a program about meaning because people, you know, the common. Um, talk around town is there isn't any mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm off to uh, meet a bunch of scientists tonight and most of them are quite hard-line atheists well they uh, tend a, to be the idea, well no that's no, not true actually biologists do and yeah, uh, 170% chemists but actually physicists you'd be surprised there are quite a lot of theists who are I mean they don't you know go to church or anything but the the interest in a sort of platonic theory of the universe that, you know, where did the laws of physics come from? That's the sort of question that people like um, Marcus de Sotoy, the mathematician, or Paul Davis, the physicist, asked, you know. It sounds like it could be a four-course meal tonight to get through some of these issues. Well, I, I wouldn't really raise these issues with them because they get cross at me, but, um, you know, you're not allowed to say in these circles... There's no, the, the rule is there's nothing here except uh, uh, genes and chemicals as if that was, like, a really ordinary thing to say, whereas, uh, uh, what about them? Where did they come from? You know, that's the most extraordinary thing, that there are genes at all is... They're just cardboard cutouts, anyway. Yeah, there are cardboard genes, obviously, but you and I have got some. Yeah, well... Two, but, two but, each. Um, yeah, well, one like of the half But listen, John, what, what would you say uh, is your legacy at the moment, then? 
I don't. I, I'm. I mean, I know this is absurd, but I don't think I've uh, done what I came to do yet. So, and and I think the books is that's where I'd like to be. And if you ask in television, because I've been in telly and radio for forty years nearly, the book is designed to be shootable as right. a television series. So, but what how far I, what, down the line are you with this saga? Well, just you know, these you know, little notebooks, two hundred notebooks or something of stuff. It's just it's such a big thing at the moment. I'm trying to write, um, reverse engineering it in the cliche to, uh, I'm writing the encyclopedia of the books as if they'd already been written. That some some other person had gone and said, oh, this character, this right. is what happened to them, and this is you know. So at the moment, you still at note stage. You haven't actually started page one. No. Well, you, look, I've I mean, got lots of page ones. But, yeah, I know, yeah, but you know what I mean. So, look, with the voiceovers and the things with science, scientists, you're going to have to kind of <laughs> buckle down on this stuff and make a decision. Uh, I'll let you get on to give you a couple of minutes to start your uh, saga. Have you got a name? Yes. Go on, then. No, I'm not going to tell you. Oh, well, then, I, no, because I look it up every so often on uh, Google to see if anyone else has thought of it, because it's a really well, good title. If you say it now, then it's in the public domain as your idea. No, no, I'm not going to too too shy. It's too be, be so. John Saga, too shy. It's, uh, <laughs> it's coming up very one hundred and seventy percent. Not imminently, but it will be here. Thank you as ever uh, to John Lloyd, a very special guest today. Uh, you've been listening to Under the Radar with me, Sean Hughes, and uh, this is a Dogs in the Field production. Uh, see you next time. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks. <laughs>